Hello, everyone, and welcome to Getting to Know the Garnet. I'm your host, Brandon Hodnett. Today, I'm joined by Marie Mancini, Director of Sports Medicine at Swarthmore. Swarthmore has been a home away from home for Marie, who has been on the sidelines with the Garnet since 1986. Marie, thanks for joining me on the show today. Brandon, I'm pleased to do it. Thank you. Marie, what, um, first of all, can you tell us what your role is at Swarthmore and, and how it's changed over the years since you've been here? So right now, my role and my title is Director of Sports Medicine. I'm not comfortable with titles, but, you know, I guess that's what I have to live with. Um, my role has changed over the many years I've been here. When I first started here, I think I was, um, actually, it was the residency in sports medicine and the funds for that for that position were donated. Hmm. So how did you arrive at Swarthmore in the first place? What was that backstory? <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting journey. Um, when I was in um, school at Westchester University, actually it was Westchester State College at the time. So I go back, <laughs> uh, I was in the athletic training program there. And at the time you were assigned a clinical site for two straight years. Whereas now the, the student athletic training students are only assigned for a semester. So I was here for two years as an athletic training student. And then there was an internship position here at Swarthmore that Doug Weiss had started. And it was a one, actually, no, it was a two year position. And he um, awarded it to his top graduating senior. Well, I was not the top graduating senior my senior year, which is okay. And I went out in the world and I did my thing and I was an athletic trainer at two different high schools. And then when I was out the third year, Doug had called me because we had always kept in touch over the years. He called me and said, you know, I don't have an intern for this coming year. Nobody wanted it. None of his seniors that year wanted it. He said, would you be interested in coming back? And I was like, oh my goodness. First of all, I've now been at a high school for two years. I was making good money and the internship paid $1,000 a month. Mm. So we cut my salary in half, actually more than half. Wow. And I thought about it, thought about it. And I said, yes. And I came back. And when I started, it, it worked so well. Doug and I were always good friends. Mm. And it was the first time that he had anybody in that position with any experience. Hmm. So he noticed a big difference in having someone with two or three years experience coming in versus yeah. a student who's just out of school. Hmm. So he looked and he looked and he did all kinds of things and pushed for me and pushed for me so that I could stay another year and then I could stay another year and then I could stay another year and then it eventually grew. And then the, um, we had a, a friend of Swarthmore College donate the money for the assistant position, which I guess, I'm not sure what it was called. I think it was the apprenticeship or whatever it was. You can probably research that and find out since that's your thing. <laughs> so we had a, a, like I said, an outside donor donate a chunk of money and, and here I am today. What was it, what was the deciding factor for you to come to come back here? Was it just, you wanted to work with Doug again or you, you, you know, really like the environment at Swarthmore? What, what convinced you to take the pay cut to come back to Swarthmore? <laughs> Kind of a couple things. One, yes, I he was a, oh my gosh, he was just a fountainhead of knowledge. Mm. So to learn from him is a privilege. And the other thing is I wanted to break away from the high school. I had been in the high school for two or three years and I, you know, I just wanted something else. Mm. Um, you know, when you're in the high school, it's a, 
it's a great environment. You can get really comfortable there. However, there are some downfalls, you know, for every student athlete, you have parents to deal with every single day. You have probably a different doctor to deal with for every student. And it's, it's a little tough navigating that. Yeah. So I did want to break away from the high school. That was my main reason yeah. for coming back. And I lived at home. I lived in New Jersey. So I commuted back and forth. So there were no living expenses at that point. Well, that's good. And rewinding a little bit further, what initially made you want to get into athletic training? Like what, what inspired that, you know, for, for it to be your career? Well, you know, I think with every athletic trainer, there's being involved in athletics. You know, I played sports from the time I was like nine or 10. And then coming up through high school, you know, you, you suffer various injuries. And back in the seventies, when you had any injury, it's not like today when you have any injury. Yeah. So, you know, I missed a lot of time and then, um, it, it really made me want to help people in my situation. That's good. Um, what have you seen kind of change and transform in the athletic training field since you started as far as ways that, you know, student athletes are treat like the treatment that they're provided or, you know, you talked about how a knee injury way back in the day was, you know, if you tore your ACL like that, that could have been it for your playing career, but now it's like, okay, you could be back in a year or whatever. What, you know, what have you seen as far as the way people rehab or, you know, you bring up knee injuries. Yeah. The ACL injury in the seventies and sixties, that was a career ender. If you think back to, I don't know if you know the name Bill Berge when he hurt his knee, that was pretty much the end of his career. And when I injured my knee, it was late seventies, early eighties. And they were just coming out with ACL reconstructions and the ACL reconstruction I had, oh my goodness, it was huge and you're in a cast for six weeks and you know there was no early mobilization mm. and i think today you know when the athletes tear their acl yeah it's devastating but they you know for them to miss nine months of a of a year of athletics is tough but back then it was you know you were out for a year and a half no questions because first of all you're in a cast for six weeks and then the rehab just getting motion back was ugh, it was just torture mm. yeah. so that's one area that has changed the other thing is concussions. When I think of what we've done with concussions in the last five or seven years versus what we did 20 years ago, I mean, putting kids back in games, you know, if their symptoms clear in 20 minutes and then they can go back. Oh my goodness, we would never do that today. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I think of that and I think, oh my goodness, I can't believe that we didn't have somebody seriously injured with a concussion in those yeah. days. And there was no formal concussion protocol we based everything that we did off of football as far as concussion mm. so that because football was played once a week. Mm -hmm. So we would have them do a gradual return as long as they didn't have symptoms and they'd be good to go the next week. Well, that mm. obviously doesn't happen anymore. And then for other sports, we would have to modify that, but there was never any formal written protocol probably until probably 2007, I think was the first time we wrote something up. Yeah. And um, you know, with, with that, emphasis on preventing concussions what what is something that you would tell student athletes just you know just to keep in mind as far as avoiding concussions in the first place what are what are different things they can do well that's an interesting question because you know in the heat of the battle when an athlete is out there they're not necessarily thinking of protecting themselves or protecting anyone else they're going full bore the whole time mm -hmm. so things are going to happen what we teach them as far as concussions is what a concussion is, 
the symptoms of concussion in case they get bumped on the head. They don't even have to get them bumped on the head. If they hit the ground really hard and it just jars them, gives them a whiplash kind of um, injury, that can cause a concussion also. So we, we teach them about the signs and symptoms of concussion. We tell them to report their concussions. Sorry, they report any injuries right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we can see them. I mean, I, I think the staff is pretty good at you know, spotting when something doesn't look right on the field or an athlete doesn't look right. So it's, it's more of concussion education, teaching them about how if you have a concussion, if you don't treat it properly, can lead to more complications down the road even after your playing career is over. Yeah. So it's really more education rather, and also prevention, you know, make sure that they're looking around on the field. They're not hitting anybody with their head. And, you know, we don't have football anymore. So that's not necessarily a problem because you don't, there's, there's really not that tendency in the sports that we have currently. So, you know, just, just a lot of education around that. This kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, protecting the brain, you know, for you as director of sports medicine, how does, um, you know, helping take care of students, mental health play a role in what you do? Right now, Brandon, um, as you may know, it's it's a huge part of what I do right now as, you know, being in this new position. We have recently, I guess not so recently, I think it was like three years ago this spring, we brought Amber Bowler on board as our department psychologist on a part-time basis so that she can help our student athletes down in the athletic facility. Um, let's talk as though there is no COVID. <laughs> so when she would be here, she would put in six hours a week. It was usually a Monday or a Tuesday. She would flip-flop weeks and be here from nine to three. And students can email her at garnethealthymind at swarthmore.edu and that goes directly to her. And it's, it's completely private so that she would get back to them and set up a, an appointment time with them. Her other um, role with us is to meet with teens as well as individuals to do some mental health initiatives. We've done Amber Town Halls, which we're gonna pick up again this semester, different topics on, on mental health that we can discuss. And you know, the students don't obviously don't have to divulge anything. It's more of an information gathering for them. And we're also gonna do um, mental health minutes with Amber this semester where she'll record, well, you will record for us, <laughs> um, her doing just a, a one minute spiel on like, healthy sleep habits and how to deal with your anxiety and and those kinds of things. And we'll do that every other week. Um, And we also put uh, together a a wellness website. And there's lots and lots of resources on there from our own CAPS to outside resources, outside uh, psychology resources for students they wanna see. There's, I think there's a good amount of information there for students to, to refer to. That's good. Um, now I know we're not playing any games anytime soon, but in the past, what, what was, what's a typical game day like for you, for, you know, for a sport that you're, you're working on the sideline? Oh my goodness. Game days, game days are the best Yeah, because it's the culmination of all the kids' hard work Mm -hmm. and getting them ready for the game, making them feel confident and comfortable to play physically is really good. I get a little you know, I get those game day jitters, no matter what sport it is, you know, it's, it's so funny. When we had football, it was really crazy because just the excitement around football, but the mm-hmm. excitement around any game, any game day 
is amazing. So you come to the office, you set up the field, you get all your supplies together, you get everything the way you need it to be on the sideline or on the court side. And then, you know, the kids start coming in for their treatments, they start coming in for their pregame taping. And it's so funny to see their superstitions. <laughs> you know, they'll jump up on a table and I'll go to tape someone. Oh no, I'm waiting for Christy or I'm waiting for Allison or I'm waiting for Sandy. And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, that's fine with me. You're good. I don't want to mess up your, 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 uh, your chi there, you know? <laughs> but, and then, you know, once the game starts, it's, you just get so engrossed in the game. Mm -hmm. And I try to watch, when I'm watching a game, I try to watch off ball. Like, you know, you don't want to get too tied up in it or you're going to miss injuries that happen off the ball. Yeah. You know, where the center of play is not there. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what I do. And then, um, and after the game, it's cleaning everybody up and cleaning up the sidelines and packing stuff away and making sure everybody's okay. Scheduling follow-up, you know, injury visits and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's exciting and it, I think it, that aspect that's one of the aspects of athletics and athletic training that I really like is the game day definitely yeah that's definitely the the highlight of my week is the game days for sure yeah um and uh so there's been a lot of amazing game days in your time here a lot of incredible moments um you know national championship trips What's kind of sticks out to you as you like just quickly think back to like, wow, this was a, this was an amazing memory that I'm never going to forget from, you know, from being at a Swarthmore game. So although this wasn't a championship game, it sure felt like one when we beat Oberlin mm. to break our losing streak, you know, we were owing 20 something and they were owing 19 or something. And after the game, when we beat them and the kids stormed the field and tore down the goalposts, it was <laughs> amazing it was amazing it was like we won a championship yeah. but it was really the battle for the basement <laughs> um and it was great you can see i have a football helmet up behind me and i also have a piece of the goalpost post <laughs> that the kids tore down Stu Hain had it cut up and put the date wow. and the floor on there for us so <laughs> that's amazing and of course you know all the soccer championships that we posted mm -hmm. and great games and and you know not to mention men's basketball in the last couple of years has been mm -hmm. so thrilling just to be a part of and to watch. Yeah, it's been great. There's so many memories. Gosh, now that you asked that question, they're all flooding they're back, back Even though we're not playing games right now, but we're still, you know, practicing when we can, what are some things that we're doing to make sure that we're keeping up with protocols and staying safe uh, on the field and on the courts? Yeah, thank you, Brandon. That's an important question in these times that we're at. Um, first thing we do is we have the students fill out symptom checklist every day. They have to do one for the health center that's mandatory as part of the Garnet Pledge, but we also have them fill out the LiveSafe app for Swarthmore College and we check that every time they come down for practice and then we do um, temperature checks, sorry. <laughs> we do a temp check on them as well. On the sidelines, there's always hand sanitizer for them and we make sure they're physically distanced so that when they set up their gear on the sidelines, we make sure that it's, you know, at least six feet apart. So when they come off for water breaks, they don't have to, you know, they're not in groups. And also they're required to bring their own water to practice and their own vessel with it fills. That way nobody's touching anything of theirs. So everything is, is like that. We also have a testing program in place. 
and that's done through the health center. It's not specifically for athletes, it's for all students and they are tested on a weekly basis. And any cases that come up, the health center does contact tracing on the student side for them. So we haven't had any pushback, you know, you'll get kids, you know, they have to be masked even when they're playing and running and they have to remain distance, but you'll get kids who, you know, the mask is down to here and, you know, you notice that, hey, you know, you got to pull that up. And of course they do, which is really good. There's, there's really no pushback. Everybody knows that it's for the safety of the whole community so that everybody remains healthy. I've suggested, actually, I can't take credit for this. I think Harley did it with her volleyball team and it just happens to be sitting right here next to me. <laughs> and I've suggested to the athletes that they invested this little silicone um, device. Mm. And what okay. it does is it goes inside the mask and it keeps the mask off your face. Okay. So when you're playing sports and you're breathing, you're not sucking in the mask. Right. So oh, it keeps okay. that space and that's really nice. And yeah. they work actually. That's a really good idea. I have to check. So that I encourage all our athletes to invest in them. They're not expensive. Yeah. You, know, you can get them in a, like a six pack or a three pack or something like that. And they're great. And you just wash them because they're all silicone. And it's, it's a nice advantage. I think kids should do that, especially the athletes. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to check that out myself. <laughs> um, and Marie, you're sitting in your new office over in the annex. What's uh, what's that space been like? What are some of the you know the advantages um, now that you've moved you know settled in over there? What have you seen as some of the advantages to having that space and some of the new uh, technology or whatever you have over there? Well, we have probably the biggest thing in this facility are the new whirlpool baths. They can they can fit in the large. We have there's two sizes. In the large one, we could fit probably six or eight people. In the smaller one, probably four or five easily. Um, we haven't been using them this year for obvious reasons, mm -hmm. but that's that's a great thing. It's a full rehab space. There's limited um, taping tables, but there's a treatment area, a taping area, and a rehab area. So it's a fully functioning athletic training room, and yeah. it's. You know, it's really nice. Just the fact that it's new, you know, any space that's new is nice. Um, I like it. I have the office with the window that overlooks the, the turf and the track. Um, so I can see what's going on there. And, and it's, it's nice. I was a little reluctant to move because mm -hmm. I really liked my office up where the coaches are. And it took me a little while to get used to this, but I really like it. I really like it. Yeah. And the tennis courts are here and Jeremy and Jason are here too. So I can always stop by and say hello to them, whereas they were so removed from everybody. And now mm -hmm. I feel like it kind of brings everybody into the fold because I kind of go everywhere, chat with people. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like it makes sense to, to have something down there since there's so much going on in that, in that area of our facilities. I do want to ask you a question about you personally. What's something fun about you that most people don't know? Oh my goodness. I don't know. I don't think I'm a lot of fun. I don't know, I'm, I'm a Phillies season ticket holder. I don't know if many people know that or how fun that is, but yeah. I think it's pretty fun. I know I've got tickets from you before and I really enjoyed going there. Yeah, they're great seats, aren't they? Yeah. I'll never give them up. <laughs> what's, the, here's the, what's the best Phillies game that you've been to? Oh my goodness. We went to my nephew who at the time, I think he was like 11 or 12 and we went to this, San Francisco, I forget what series that was, but it was obviously it wasn't the World Series, but it was the playoff series, might have been the cha championship series. We had so much fun. We, um, 
it was just, it was just amazing. And it was such a thrill for him. And I think that's what made it so great for me was that he got so caught up in it. And he's such a huge Phillies fan that he just, oh my God. And our, our section was so funny. They were, they were just great. Um, yeah, so that was a good one. And I saw, um, who was the third baseman they picked up? Didn't keep him very many years, but he hit for the cycle and we were there for that game. Okay. Yeah, and actually I saw Greg Jeffries hit for the cycle too. Oh, cool. Which is kind of rare because you know you're more likely to see a no hitter than somebody hit for the cycle. Yeah. I've seen that twice. Wow. Never seen a no hitter. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to remember who that if that was David Bell or um, I think it was David Bell. How, how many games do you try to go to as many games as you can, or do you? We do. Yeah. We try and and um, you know my mom went with me for many years. You know yeah. now she's a little older. She's not able to go and get out. But um, yeah, so now. I, my girlfriend and we grew up together and sorry, sorry. My mom, all I had to do was mention her name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now mostly me and my girlfriend are go, will go. If she can't go, then, you know, I'll try and find somebody else who's, who's a fan and or I'll try and sell the tickets or give them away or whatever. Very cool. Well, here's hoping we can go to some games this summer. I know. And Marie, what, as we're kind of wrapping up here, what has Swarthmore meant to you after all these years, if you could kind of summarize it? Wow, that's a good question too, Brandon. It's, it's really been like a home away from home. You know, the kids are great. And I think the kids are probably what keep people here the most. They're so much fun and they're so different and they're just so Swarthmore. And there's always that something about them that you know, you'll talk to them and they do so many different things and they travel everywhere and, you know, they start up programs and it's, they're brilliant. It's amazing. And the kids have really kept me here and, and that, and the staff, I mean, I've had such good relationships with people here at Swarthmore College. It's, it's really been great. I mean, you know, from working with Doug Weiss, the legend at Swarthmore, mm -hmm. um, to just kind of creating sports medicine in my way um, but keeping his legacy alive I think is important hmm. so, but it's it's just a great community it's a nice wholesome community where people help each other thanks for listening to this episode of the Swarthmore Athletics podcast if you like what you heard please subscribe leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends